Hello, Michael. How are you doing? And welcome to this week's Formula One View. And uh, I'd like to say hello to, and welcome to the listeners of the po- podcast. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been all uh, it's been all happening in Formula One over the weekend with a with a a, a Formula One car so hot it went up in a blaze. <laughs> That's actually very true. That's the big news of uh, uh, last weekend. Not the race itself, funny enough. It's, yeah. uh, of course, Roman Grosjean in that absolutely incredible crash. Um, his Haas car really, I suppose, flew off into the barriers on turn three on lap one. Uh, uh, the Frenchman kind of uh, exiting that fiery remains of that cockpit before being airlifted to the hospital. Uh, as you know yourself, going motor racing, especially in Formula One, is a bit like owning a pet rattlesnake. You know, you can feed the little critter all you like, trying to keep it happy and that. But if you're foolish enough to relax your guard for a moment, <laughs> it's still yeah, going I'm to bite you. But then... Um, the television, uh, uh, no doubt you are watching it yourself, tends to make the F1 seem a bit slower until something goes wrong. Uh, and the control of a talented human is, is, is suddenly being stripped away, as they say, uh, along with it, you know. And this was a pretty, pretty spectacular shunt um, that he managed to walk away from. I mean, the, the sight of an F1 car colliding with a barrier and instantly bursting into flames. A very nasty surprise. And it shocked everybody, I think. Uh, it immediately sent my mind uh, to red alert because um, cars really don't catch fire unless something serious, some serious structural devastation or, or something like that is happening. I, 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 the last time I remember that happening anyhow was uh, Gerhard Berger, I think it was in uh, Imola in uh, 1989 or 1990. I can't remember which. Uh, the memory isn't that good. <laughs> But the same sort. Uh, you're you'd only be a year out anyway. I, know. Oh, uh, I hope you that far. I hope you that far. Hopefully, unless somebody rings in and says, "Oi, wrong decade." <laughs> <laughs> Some would have said actually that there shouldn't have been a barrier out there because it was a bit of a chat around that uh, about the barrier on turn three. Uh, was was a little bit close to the track, uh, I would say. But to be honest with you, if it hadn't have been there, you know, if Grosjean had hit a concrete barrier um, or a wall at like 220 kilometers per hour, um, I think it would have been far worse personally. But the safety cell was not compromised, which is an amazing thing about Formula One cars. Uh, uh, remained sufficiently intact. And together and with that... The, the, ironic thing, the ironic thing about that was he was against that safety thing in, in, in cars. And lucky enough, it was the, the very thing that he was... Uh, he, he was saying against was the one thing that saved his life because if uh, that wasn't there, he'd probably, it would have been a fatality. But they were also saying on uh, sports programs after that and sports reports that, it, it you know, it's not that often that a fatality happens in uh, sport. But uh, obviously, you wouldn't, you still don't want to risk it. Like, you don't want to, you don't want to be arrogant about it either because even though it doesn't happen that much or it has very rarely happened, it doesn't, it doesn't totally rule out. Um, the possibility. Oh no, that is very true, and that is very true. And Grosjean, amongst other drivers, did complain about that amazing titanium halo system, that big circle that goes around above their head. So many of them complained, and I know there's a little vertical bar there, and I know it kind of obstructs your view very slightly. Hasn't slowed any of them down, mind you, or, or stopped them from driving hell-bent for leather as they normally do, but there was a lot of complaints about that. But I think, hand on heart, okay, that 
safety system was intact, the whole entire area compartment was intact. But I honestly think without that halo system, Roman mightn't be talking to us today. And I think he has, from what I can see, realized that too. And he, when you look at a crash like that, the halo system, and, you know, he was taken away immediately. He, he was taken away to the Defence Force Hospital uh, near Bahrain. And he was treated for nothing worse and second-degree burns to his hands. I mean, you know, just seeing that crash, that's an incredible, incredible achievement when you think about it, isn't it? He's like the, he's like the bionic man because I suppose really uh, the, the thing with it too is, you know, you think of, when you look at Michael Schumacher and what happened to him, yeah, it kind of, it, it, you kind of realise, well, it could now look as, don't get me wrong, second-degree burns are no, are no picnic either, hmm. but still... It's minor in compared to, compared to what is what happened to um, Michael Schumacher. I mean, you, you know, and he's he's still out, and I don't think he'd be returning. So, uh, you know, it could have been an awful lot worse. But you know, there was pictures of videos of him in hospital, and he was telling everyone that he was okay. That um, he was telling everyone, or you know, that he was okay, which was the main thing. But I suppose you know a lot of people would say about well, second degree burns is severe, no, it's severe enough. But when you compare it to what happened to, as I said, what happened to uh, Michael Schumacher, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Could have been an awful lot worse. And what happened, of course, to poor Ayrton Senna when he came around the corner and uh, gently it would have seen hit against the wall. Car still able to drive, and you know neck just gone, and the man died. I mean. If I was Roman Grosjean, I think I'd be very happy for stepping out of that car. The way it went up, he seemed flames. happy enough. He seemed, to, despite his injuries or his, you know, having second degrees burns, mm. uh, the video of him in the hospital, he seemed, he seemed very happy and and saying, saying to everyone, "I'm well" and all that. So, yeah. well, in fairness, there must be something about him. He must be like a cat with nine lives. Or something. <laughs> I think it's a bit of an F1 driver thing, to be quite honest with you, because any of them, I mean, you look at the great Nicky Lauda after the severe burns he had, and he came back racing mm. early. Doctors were telling him, do not do it. Do not do it under any circumstances. And here was Lauda back in excruciating pain, trying to get a helmet on and off. And he's back racing. And it seems to be the same with them all. They just want to be back, back. That's it. Uh, I don't know if it's a head mentality with them or whatever goes on, but they, they seem but to be taking a stride. That's it. I think it's kind of a general sports person thing because I know, like, you know, you look at any sports person, be it soccer, rugby, any sport, athletics, you name it. I mean, it is a, it is a mental thing that just want to. And as speaking for myself as well, when I was a player, you just want to get you just want to get back here. You know, having said that, you know, so some people, depending on the injuries, some people, you know, get get better quicker than others with the same injury. You know, but um, the mental mentality of a player is you just want to get back playing. And I think it fit, that's where fitness kind of comes in as well because it helps in the healing process. And certainly with me as a sports therapist as well, it's, you know, I, I see that a lot with play, with people, um, with athlete, athletes and players. I say, oh, we just want to get back and maybe the, co the coach might want the player back. But I can't stand over a player doing that unless I know specifically, yeah, this player is fit to return, you know, so... But I think, you know, even the, the, they might say, oh, I have a game this weekend. I say, right, well, you can go and play and you'll aggravate the injury and you could be out for, you could, instead of missing 
one or two games. You could be out for five or six games. Yeah. Or you can do what I say and you'll be back. You'll be back on time. And that kind of, it's not doing it in a bad way, but it's kind of, I suppose, me being a former player as well, I can associate with the with the player or the athlete. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. You, you know, so they, they know where I'm coming from and they know I understand how it feels. So, you know, I, I think it's that kind of a mental, you know, mental thing about, you know, about, about sports people in general. But it just seems to be the, the, you know, Formula One drivers just seem to be bionic altogether and just kind of surpassed, like like you just said there. Yeah, it is it, it is unusual, all right. But I I would I I'd agree with you. I'd, I'd attribute that to sportsmen in general. I mean, you know, you may be on tens of millions of salary in Formula One. You may have, like Michael Schumacher did, hundreds of millions of uh, advertising campaigns and everything. You're making a fortune from per year. I mean. The guy wasn't the first millionaire or billionaire sportsman for nothing. But it doesn't matter. It's the love of the sport. That's something that you really love doing. It doesn't matter if there's no money involved or if there's billions involved. You want to be there and there is a drive that comes with that. And and you are right. I mean, I used to play tennis fairly seriously when I was younger and competitions did quite well. But of course, I suffered an injury one summer. Um, I was what was I? I was about eighteen years of age, and I discovered I, I suffered an injury in my knee. And of course, you know, don't play, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. Uh, missed the rest of the season. I used to play badminton over the winter because, of course, the tennis courts <laughs> we didn't have the luxury of indoor tennis courts in the eighties. So I used to play badminton, yeah. but of course, what did I do? I went in for a competition and I think after about the third match, I ended up on crutches for 16 weeks and walking with a limp for over a year. So, you know, you do, you are absolutely right. You're a sports therapist. Anybody like that, you should sit down and listen and do as they say. They will tell you when you're ready to go back. Yeah, that's it. Because, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I love, I love seeing a player returning and, as I as I say, you know, returning to playing status—that's the way I say it to to coaches and all that, and to the players. And uh, you know, because I suppose you know, if you do let play, a player back, and next thing he he gets injured straight away again, it's kind of it reflects badly on you. But it's also, I suppose, any physio or any sports therapist will tell you that they kind of you you care about the people you're treating, and you know you don't want to see anything bad happen to them, and. You know, it's it's a sense of pride when when you're treating a player and that or even a driver or whatever, and uh, they go back playing. You have, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's very rewarding to see that uh, you know to think that you had a, a part to play in that, and it's great to see the player back or the driver or the athlete back playing. You know, and that that that's that's what you love. That's what I love about the job. But you know, I suppose really, I think another thing is psychologically is making the making the person feel like they have a say in their treatment as well, or they have a contribution, you know, and all that. And I think if they feel that kind of involvement as well, they're more inclined to buy into. Yeah, it. well, that is very true. It's uh, it, it is incredible, and it is a uh, it, it's a calling really to heal people. is a calling, mm-hmm. whether you're a doctor, whether you're a sports therapist, whether it doesn't matter what you are, whether you're a psychologist. Healing people is, is a great, great thing. And I don't know anybody at all who works in any way to heal people that isn't, doesn't feel it when somebody doesn't recover the way they want them to. 
or someone someone doesn't listen to him in some cases, but it doesn't matter if the person doesn't listen to you and hurts themselves again, you still feel it like, you know, have I failed that person in some way or some description? You know, it's 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 kind of like you when you're doing your when you when you're doing uh, your predictions for the Formula oh, One, and you might get one little thing oh, wrong. You know, you feel <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> one little thing wrong. Jesus, that was a good week. <laughs> well, I tell you, I tell you, you you want to see myself and Martin when when we're doing our predictions? I tell you, we we've we've yet to get six or seven out. Well, I got six out of ten. Well, hey, the, uh, you know, we we've yet to break that uh, seven. That seven uh, predictions right <laughs> barrier, you know. But, uh, you know. So uh, I think that the the uh, thing is, you know, whatever we predict, you know, you kind of do the opposite. But I know it's look, it's only done for a bit of banter. Oh well, that's but, uh, right. Yeah. And it, it is, it is, it doesn't matter what happened. It, it is impossible, especially in Formula One, because you know someone could have said, "Well, Rosemary yeah. Grosjean's going to do very well." And the man goes out in a, 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 a fiery flame, like you know, you, you just it's it's next to impossible to 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 say exactly. And, and if you're accurate all the time, as as often, I suppose Bernie Eccleston was the most accurate person I've ever come across. The thing is, they stopped asking him after a while because it was leading to questions. You can't be that right all the time. <laughs> But then again, you see, Bernie Eccleston would have the inside info that maybe we say a journalist mightn't have, like, you know, because I think, you, you know, like for a football team or, you know, a Formula One team, they don't let out all, they, they only say what they don't, you know, there's a certain amount of secrets that they don't want the public or the journalists <laughs> or the media to know. So there's, unless you know, you know, every nut and bolt that's going on, it is very hard to... um to predict, but I suppose you know how did the uh, how did the betting shops, you know, come up with the odds and you know they, <laughs> I suppose it it, it depends on uh, you know they'd have access to certain information as well. But then again, it's not an exact science. No, none of it really is, and, and it reminds me there. I was just laughing. It reminds me back of the day when when things were more unpredictable, where people used different manufacturers for tires and. They used to refuel and all that. It was a much better time for Formula One, if you ask me, because it was vastly more unpredictable and someone could have an edge that nobody saw. But I, I'll always remember the quote from Michael Schumacher when they were the only ones on, on Bridgestone tyres. And uh, uh, Martin Brundle walked over and said to him, he says, so um, soft tyres, medium tyres, hard tyres, what tyres are you going to be running today, Michael? And he said, uh, large round black ones. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That, that was, was the that. end of that. That's all you're going to be told today. You know? yes. <laughs> and that's the way to have it, really. Uh, but I suppose back to Bahrain, uh, it, it, was a, it, it wasn't it was the most astounding race in the world. Again, bar that which people will be talking about. I think for quite some time, it's going to lead a lot to um, maybe maybe even more innovations in safety. Of course, with, with safety uh, and car safety and race safety, you have to take another bow to the man that headed up um, the safety board for decades, um, which was Michael Schumacher, and brought more safety systems into Formula One than any other person ever has. Um, you have to thank him again. We're, we're back to the Schumachers again, really. It always seems to lead back to him. I have no idea why. But anyway, <laughs> after the safety car, maybe it's because I mentioned them at the start there, and uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of Schumacher ever since. But I suppose really, when, when you think about it. You know the strides that have have been made in Formula One since since Formula One has been invented. I suppose would be the best way, of, or since since 
like, since Formula One became into being, as I say, you know, compared to you, you were literally taking your life into your oh, own absolutely. Hands. Compared to compared to now, where it is a lot more. Don't get me wrong; it's still dangerous, but there's a lot more safety measures and this, that, and the other in Formula One for the health and safety of the driver compared to day one when uh, Formula One started. Or as out. they like to call it, the killer years. Believe it or believe it. Now I saw. I saw a lovely documentary on it. I mean, you know, you're going way, way back to the Sterling Mosses and the, the, the Fangios and people like that. But um, I remember the BBC did an exceptionally good documentary on it. And they again called it Formula One, the killer years. And so many guys yeah. were just lucky to still be alive. I mean, one of them, um, I can know his name, of course, is, is losing me, a small Scottish man. Can't remember his name, but I can see his face in my head. Um, he was saying that he was saved by another driver and it was really unusual once you crashed it was really unusual for any driver to stop because there was no safety car there was no flags you just kept driving hell bent for leather and he was pulled out of a burning car and he said without that he wouldn't be standing here today but I mean a, a death per race was practically normal back then and, and then you fast forward to even the 80s I mean it was rare enough and these days I mean you know, the last death was uh, Ayrton Senna and there's been nothing since. So when you see Grosjean getting out of something like that, and indeed it's happened quite a lot. I mean, you even see the time Schumacher broke his leg when he was in the lead of the World Championship, went off the track at over 200 kilometres per hour into a solid wall and all he did is break his leg. <laughs> you know, it's an absolutely incredible when you think about it. The cars are getting better, I suppose, the whole time. But, you know, it, it, it's hard to... You know, it's difficult in every sport, but when you're driving something like that, where you reaction time is a tenth of a second too slow and you end up in a brick wall at a couple of hundred kilometers per hour, it really has to be ultra, ultra, ultra safe, is this? It really has to be. But look, that's, that's the way it is. And then we have to bow to everybody um, and say thank you to everyone. And that actually just before I just continue a bit with the race there, I was going to say this at the end, but I'll say it now since you, uh, since you mentioned it. <laughs> and one thing, one no thing I have to applaud is marshals and marshals in general in, in, in any sport or sport, yeah. because they're largely made up of uh, totally unpaid volunteers in a lot of cases who give up their time for the love of sport, a bit like yourself and other people like that. It isn't the easiest job they're doing. Yeah, yeah, true. You never see fights yeah. or hooliganism at a Formula One race or anything like that. You know, even a bit of taunting is rare at Formula yeah. One races, believe it or believe it not. But they still have to keep everybody safe and you know, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of people and you're looking at cars hurtling around in nearly 300 kilometers per hour around blind corners. And you're trying to watch everyone, make sure everyone is safe. It's just it's absolutely incredible when you stop and think about it. There is training provided for them. But I mean, the, the, the hell of a lot of organization on those tracks. They're so big and so many people and. You know, something can go sideways in a second, just like it did with Grosjean. And, and I mean, quick reactions of people like that aiding drivers and, and race cars. So many times it could have ended up far worse. I mean, in, in Grosjean's case, you know, yes, they weren't tackling the fire because really you need serious professionals for that. But they were there and they were helping and they were making sure Grosjean was OK and making sure who needed to be on that track was on that track, which is absolutely incredible. And I mean, you know, people like that amaze me. It's like our own order of Malta. 
I mean, what an organisation. You have to just tip your hat to them. They're, they're, they're very special people, all of them, really, aren't they? That's it, because, I mean, really, in that, like being a driver or be, in any sport, you have to be you have to be tuned in because if you're not tuned in, that could be the difference between getting injured or not injured or getting killed. Or oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the tiny, it's the tiny, um, it's the tiny things in sport that could, could make a huge difference. You know, people, the things that people might, mightn't realize, uh, you know, when you're actually involved in it, they are the, the fine oh, margins. Oh, there are very fine margins. And I mean, it, they even spot and walk the track and make sure there's things of safety. I mean, you know, the cars are as safe as you get them. But still, if a car is going down a straight and, and takes a corner and goes off at even 100 kilometers per hour, these tires are, <laughs> you know, they're not light. They're very, very heavy. They can fly. It does happen every now and again. And you can imagine that going into a stand with maybe 2,000 people in it. How many people are going to be hurt? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is the main issue. Yeah. Well, I'm too, as well. Uh, you see it in Formula One, or not Formula One, in the rally championships, uh, you know, more specifically, I think Donegal, you know, where there's a lot of, um, you, you probably are familiar, you probably heard over the years of, uh, we say, you know, you'd, you'd have um, supporters or fans there on the edge of the road, next thing a, a rally car comes around the corner and the car leaves the leaves the um leaves the road and ends up hitting someone on the side of the road, even though they're the far side of the, even though they're the far side of the wall yeah. or a ditch. You know, there are fatalities oh, there around are, that. It can, but, be, uh, it can be quite scary if you see these things going past you. I mean, uh, we've had the rally circuit now going. We're, we're literally about, oh, no distance, about 600 metres to a corner. Well, not 600 metres. What am I talking about? About 60 metres to a corner uh, of, of a road that the rally has gone up on twice. You probably saw me with the odd post on that. But, um, you know, yeah. the great thing about it is there's a lot of security in that. Uh, but, like, we were standing in the entrance of the next door house. And, you know, we were sensible enough to be standing behind the wall. But... You see it, unfortunately, with these things too. There's a field on the opposite side and the lads jump the ditch, go into the field uh, and out and there's no gate on the field and they're standing there. You know, a lot of it sort of needs to be common sense really these days too, doesn't it? You don't you don't stand there. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose it depends on the conditions of the road and whether the, the road is dry or wet. They're all kind of decisive things as well because if you... If the road is wet and then you're going too fast and you put the brakes on too quickly, then you're going to skate and, you know, you could be going 30, 40, 50 metres before the car can come to us, um, before it comes to a standstill. And that's too late because it could be in a ditch or no, all. absolutely. You know, I, could be, or even the I had the displeasure oh, so. of being um, uh, 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 the, the second seat driver in one of the cars, a uh, navigator for a, a, a guy I used, to, I used to know years ago when his navigator got sick. And uh, he didn't need a navigator because he needed the road, but you have to have somebody in the car. And I can tell you, the way these things go, they look lovely smooth. It's not like that in the car. It's absolute chaos. Everything is moving. The car is shuddering, swinging. And, uh, I mean, it's sheer brilliance to be able to control a car like that and come out the other end. And it's no wonder there's accidents, really. I mean, something small even can cause absolute chaos. You know, you're just waiting for a rabbit or something to go across the road and there's all manner of chaos after happening then, you know. It, it is incredible. I, I think it's the same with Formula One cars. When you see them flying around the corner, you know, it looks, whoa, look at that beautiful movement. 
But when you actually see the driver's hands, they're twitching and vibrating and going with the car and the whole thing is, you know, you, you can't hold that steering wheel dead dead, dead steady. It's, it's impossible. Um, you know, so an accident, yeah, can happen very, very easily, as they say. So I often say to people with the rallies, go to the rally, be sensible. <laughs> it is about all you can say. Make sure you're not standing on Make sure you're not standing yeah, well, event where the well if you are behind the ditch or, or, or behind a wall is preferable. <laughs> Do get 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 uh, get Donald Trump to build you a wall. Well I hear he's very good at that now. I hear he might be doing that as his next job, isn't he? Not too bad. He's, he has a, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's building walls everywhere from what I hear. Great wall of uh, of, of Mexico yeah. and uh, yeah, he has a van and all there with uh, Trump, Trump wall building. Uh, I think he's doing the Great Wall of Cork too. I think he's, he's, he's gone for that one, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're trying to keep the carry. The carry <laughs> I think well, something like that, all right. And he's doing the Great Wall of Manchester as well <laughs> to keep the team in. Uh, there you go. Getting huge contracts. Yeah, that's not, that, that's not to have, keep the infidels out. That's to keep the infidels in. <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. But... Uh, yeah, so I suppose looking looking on to the uh, the next one as well, the next the uh, next Grand Prix. Grand Prix. Well, uh, that's going to be back to Bahrain again. Uh, so we're back to the same place, Shakir, um, for the same race distance, the three hundred and eight kilometers, um, uh, and and the same number of laps again. We're off again, and I wouldn't expect anything unusual. I would expect pretty much the same as what happened, except maybe a bit safer. Um, uh, the way the results went, and the results will be different this weekend, funny enough, was a, a, a Hamilton Wonder race, mm. of course, in the Mercedes, with Max Verstappen in the Red Bull on his tail. I think it was only 1.2 seconds in between the two of those. Shows you how good Red Bull are doing. And, of course, the second Red Bull in third place. And the two McLarens gifted fourth and fifth place. But there will be a slight difference this weekend. Because... In our quick bites, um, just a quick piece of news here. We all don't know, or maybe perhaps we do know, um, but Hamilton has been diagnosed with COVID, unfortunately. Yes. All right. Well, he's he's still far. He's still far enough oh. ahead that I suppose at this stage he can't be oh, overtaken. No, no. The suppose, world championship uh, is won at this stage. Yeah, no one will be over. Uh, will be overtaking him or doing anything like that whatsoever. But he has been diagnosed with COVID. He's not very pleased about it. Um, he's giving out a lot, which a lot of people are saying, you know, oh how dare he? But to be honest with you, as we've already said. He's a sportsman. He just wants to be behind the wheel of a car doing his utmost. It doesn't matter he's won. It, it makes no difference whatsoever. You know, if Michael Schumacher won a championship, he could have won an eighth world championship that last race he had if he had to have just went in and got tires. But being a racer, he just wanted to race and wanted to get as high up as he could. Second place, not good enough. You have to be first. And I mean, you, you, you can't really, you know, if you're going to be uh, competing at this level, you're going to complain about that. You're going to give out. You're going to want to be there. But look, we wish him a speedy recovery. We won't see him for the rest of this year. Um, we probably see him back, uh, hopefully, or maybe, in a, a Mercedes next year. And we do wish him all the best in his recovery. That's it. And hopefully, hopefully he'll be back again soon. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he'll be, even though he's passionate about the sport, at the same time, he'd be kind of happy with the the downtime as well because 
you know, in an average season, you, you don't see, you know, if you're married or you have a girlfriend or you have a family, you don't see them. You see them very little throughout the season. So I suppose the downtime due to the, although because it's COVID, he won't be able to, he, he left to box himself in a room, I suppose, on his own. And the, we all know that. No, yeah, that's very that, true. Well, it's, it's not just that, really. It's the level of fitness, of course, in Formula One, too. It's, um, you know, even when you're sick, um, you still have to train and you'll fall back very quickly. Michael Schumacher uh, was known to have done that on several occasions, being exceptionally sick and still training. Uh, well, as much as he could, as they say, you know, uh, because it's just the sheer level of G-forces and everything. You know, it's just, it's 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 something else, so... I'm assuming he'll be doing that. Um, well, one would hope so. Um, a couple of other things actually uh, happened during the week, just as a, a, a bit of information. The Schumacher name is back in Formula One for 2021. We can't get away from that name, hey! can we? <laughs> Has has officially signed Mick Schumacher, of course, son of the famous Michael Schumacher, on the multi. That was inevitably going to happen. It wasn't a matter of if; it was a matter. Of, it was just a matter of oh, time. Oh, the first time that way. guy sat in a cart in competition—that was the answer. It was a bit like Michael Schumacher. He did one race, and it was kind of when, not, not, not if. And it was the same with Mick. He's an amazing yeah. driver. He—he's going to have the. He has the Formula Two championship in the bag at this stage. If you ask me, he's won it twice. Formula Two is very much more competitive, and the Formula One. The cars are all very similar. So, you know, to win uh, Formula 2 is a lot more impressive than winning Formula 1 um, when you're in the right car, as they say. With, with, with Formula 2, there's a lot of things involved in that one, I can tell you. But, of course, the Ferrari brand cars are running away with that one. But, of course, Haas as well are, are a Ferrari sort of joint American team. So it's not too surprising he's going into that. And I reckon he's going to be very impressive because this is only his second season in Formula 2. And here he is going to be the world champion in Formula 2. So we will have to wait and see uh, what happens there. Of course, the only unusual thing, I suppose, about Haas is, you know, both of the drivers are out. Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen, poor Roman, uh, both of them are out for next year. So where they're going to end up now is going to be a bit more fun. Um, but Mick Schumacher's in. Roman and Magnussen, unfortunately, Kevin Magnussen are out. But that is just... Yeah, it's like a almost, yeah, they've just decided to wipe the boards um, with the whole thing. A lot of people are saying it's a bit of an American thing to do that every now and again when, the, you know, to get the team better. I don't think so. I think it's the Ferrari involvement now in Haas has come out to the fore in that Ferrari are grooming their own drivers. And currently in Formula 2, the top four best drivers um, are all driving Ferrari-related cars. And all three teams that Ferrari, including their own team involved in, are the three top teams in Formula 2. So I think there's a bit of um, there's a bit of clout from Ferrari saying, you're taking our drivers. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be at all surprised, yeah. to be honest with you. If... But then again, it's down to Ferrari to make sure they give the drivers a long enough contracts without the clause, the leaving clause, so that they can hold on to their drivers. I mean, if they if they leave it long enough that a player's that a, a driver's contract is going to run out, well then the the in fairness to the drivers, they have that right. They're entitled to go on to another team if they if they're in if you know. If yeah, the there is there, there is pluses and minuses with that, really. Schumacher was one to hire uh, to highlight that one. He was a different type of driver, though. He wanted to 
he wanted to pull Ferrari forwards. He wasn't interested in driving the fastest car. He wanted to take a car and make it the fastest car. He, he, he's the only driver ever has ever done that. And I mean, back in the days of, of Prost and Fangio and people like that, you just got the best contract you did. And if you were the world champion, you just said, right, that's the best car. I'll take that team. Um, whereas that is absolutely brilliant to be able to do that. Harder on other drivers. But I think... The benefits of being in a, a multi-race contract like Michael, well, like Mick Schumacher and, and other people like that are in nowadays is, of course, you know, there isn't that sort of tenseness the whole time, you know, well, what's going to happen next year or what's going to happen next or what am I going to do or what's this, what's that, what's the other. You, you have a bit of comfort, you know, you, you know you're going to be racing for this team for mm. three years, providing you don't absolutely make the big zeros. Um, you're going to be in with this team for three years. And I mean, that's security. To me, that means quite a lot. To anybody, really, security means a hell of a lot when they're, whatever their endeavour is, really, doesn't it? That's it, because, I mean, really, when you look at it, you have a, fa- you know, if you have a family, uh, if you're married with kids or you have a girlfriend or you're, you're living together, you know, bills have to be paid and food has to be put on the table and mortgages and all that has to be paid. So from, from that point of view, you know, you like you need something secure to be able to pay pay off the bills and, and this, that and the other and to afford to live. So I suppose from that point of view, yeah, it is, you know, security is is vital in that yeah. sense. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, so it's very interesting now how, how uh, you know, about this uh, Bahrain, I suppose it'd be the, the, the exact same, the, the more or less the exact same uh, times, qualifying times. Well, or, like... Will it be down to conditions I doubt or what? In Bahrain, in this it should one? be pretty much the same as before. And I'd say it'll be pretty much status quo, except hopefully, yeah. fingers crossed, we won't get any bad accidents. We did We did also, of course, we also, after the safety car in the race uh, last week, uh, Lance Stroll was rolled over uh, uh, after a, a bit of a contact with Danny Kvyat. Um, but that was... That was nothing in that. Really, these sorts of things happen every day, every day of the week, which is kind of scary. <laughs> he was absolutely fine, but yeah. you know, other than those two incidents, really, uh, yeah, it's weird in a way. We don't want big crashes like Roman Grosjean, but you know, small crashes are okay because it brings a bit of uh, intensity to the race, and I think it makes everyone sit up and listen as well and and, and watch what's going on. Um, big. Yeah, absolutely. You know, well. it's, it's it's a bit more of a challenge for the driver. I mean, I'm sure, like all of us watching the races, the drivers too get exceptionally bored running around, everything staying the same, no one doing anything, like being caught in a in a bunch of traffic and you can't overtake anybody. You know, everything just going round and round and round. I'm sure they get frustrated themselves, no matter no matter what position they're in. I'm sure they get frustrated themselves. You know, and yeah. and talking about positions. Uh, 2021 is going to change a little bit from from what was speculated before. It was supposed to be a bit of a a bit of a holding pattern um, for kind of the new Formula One in 2022, with, with with some vast changes, which is really going to make it harder um, on people like Hamilton, Schumacher, people like that's really going to make it harder on them to win multiple Formula Ones. That's the concept, really, I suppose. But there's two small tweaks to bring in out to the tyres and the aerodynamics of the current cars next year. And um, it could bring out an element of, 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 of under and unpredictability, I suppose, about it. The new tyre construction, yeah, the new tyre construction was trialled on Friday and uh, <laughs> uh, in Bahrain. 
Yeah, that took a second. <laughs> <laughs> or even rugby, rugby ball shapes. Rugby, a guy <laughs> played by men with odd shaped uh, uh, rugby balls. We won't go there. <laughs> There you go. It is a change, and and the bodywork of the cars is still the same, but they, they must include a narrower floor, mm. uh, which you know, without any ground effect ceiling slots, as well as limitations on diffusers and things like that. I, I think it's going to bring a little bit of unpredictability to it because you know the first thing that happened, of course, was the Formula One manufacturers all went, oh no, not a change. We don't want that. We want to concentrate on the next car. But do you know what? It doesn't do them any harm to be poked and prodded and, and have to get up and do something now, does it really? <laughs> yeah. As opposed to every, everything being done for them. Yeah, I, I think in Formula One this year, actually, the, the most interesting thing towards the end of the season now is going to be who's third in the Constructors' Championship. Because, I mean, we've, been ta- we've always spoken about the big three, which was sort of Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes. And Ferrari have been... Okay, their, their last few races have been a lot better. Bar Bahrain, which was an absolute disaster with only, um, uh, with only Charles Leclerc getting a point and uh, Sebastian Vettel, who uh, was, was quite underwhelming, but I suppose it's his third last race for Ferrari. I suppose his enthusiasm's waning a wee bit. Not a good sign. But, um, you know, P3 could be with Ferrari, but... To me, the chief challenger at the moment seems to be McLaren. Um, the smallest race resources that you come across yeah. to come upon. <laughs> They're practically nothing. But I think Racing Point at the moment, uh, they're in P3. I think McLaren are are definitely stabbing at that one very quickly. And they're two great drivers. And they're driving better than ever. And the other spanner in the works, I think, is Renault. Because um, since Belgium, the F1 team, the Renault F1 team has been the most impressive team out there. I have to admit, they've been amazing. And at times, they had the second fastest car on the grid, practically, you know. Uh, I mean, Danny Ricciardo has made the most out of it, scoring a couple of podiums in the last few races. Uh, but, I mean, I'd like to see that. I'd like to, I think that battle for P3 now is going to be the interesting one. I think we can forget about the Red Bulls and the Mercedes for a while. And um, although I'm, I'm going to tip a Red Bull to win this weekend, we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> but I think definitely, definitely there's going yeah, to be, no um, there's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a change to see who gets P3. I'd like to see McLaren doing it because I think Renault are going to be a force to be reckoned with next year, especially seeing how it has developed and especially the Fernando Alonso back, uh, I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with next year. So it'd be nice to see somebody like McLaren who have really been in the doghouse for quite some time now at this stage, unjustifiably in the doghouse. Dog and with such a small budget compared to what they used to have, it'd be nice to see them getting into the P3. I think it'd be a great lift for them, you know? So, so hopefully, fingers crossed on that one. Um, that'll be it. Uh, and I suppose we, we, we move on to our car of the week then, I suppose, to round it up. And, and I, I don't know if anyone spotted it before I go ahead with it. The Black Friday fortnight's upon us, isn't it? <laughs> Did you buy much? That's right, yeah. Did you get much yourself? Did you get there, anything exciting? No, I'd rather... Not yet, anyway, you know. I'm, I, I, I'm liking it in the long grass. <laughs> well, once it was... Happens. Kind of like... 
it's kind of like this vaccine. It's kind of like this vaccine, you know, this COVID vaccine. You're kind of waiting to find out more information before you decide <laughs> whether you're having it or not. Absolutely. We call that Black COVID Day uh, or White COVID Day. I don't know. But, but Black yeah. Friday, as we know, it used to be a day. It's a fortnight these days, especially on Amazon. And the car dealers have actually jumped in on it now as well, would you believe? Now, to me, uh, Black Friday, if there's a Black Friday car deal, in your local dealership, avoid because they're either fibbing or desperate because it's been an absolute bumper year for car sales. They can't keep them in. Uh, and um, so if there is a Black Friday deal, I, I, I'd avoid it. <laughs> Could be something up trying to get shot of it. It's yeah. just a tip. I Personally, I avoid Black Friday as a general rule because the deals are never as good as the first scene. But um, if you are interested in cars, and uh, your car, putting your car on the road, not just motorsports, is important to you. Voting has currently opened for the What Car Awards uh, for this year. So don't be shy. Get in there. Get out. Vote for whatever car you like uh, and uh, and see what's going on. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I think there's a few cars in for a shout. Okay, I've had a little bit, a little bit less experience this year than others because uh, COVID is a bit cramping our style. But that said, I did try and I did buy an SUV. So, uh, I mean, there's a few around. And a couple of tips I might have is in the SUV range, I reckon it's going to go between the uh, Range Rover Evoque, the Volvo XC40, which is a staggeringly good car. That's what I would be driving if I had a bit more cash. And the Skoda Karak. Although I, I would throw in the Grandland X Peugeot 3008 and the Citroen A5 Aircross. Three cars, no, they're all the same car. Uh, that's the only reason that I throw them in. And if you're after an electric, I reckon the Volvo spin-off, the Polestar 2, exceptionally expensive, is the Polestar. Um, but it has, it is a Volvo, and I reckon that could win electric car of the year. I wouldn't like to be buying it because uh, they're very expensive. And, and also the Tesla Model 3, <laughs> not cheap either. But I reckon that could go too. I'd like to see an underdog getting it. I'd like to see something like the Peugeot, 208 or Opel Corsa Electric, both the same car. I'd like to see them in there because they're great little cars. They're they're low price in electric car terms, not normal car terms. But um... and I suppose really, um, go, going on to uh, talking talking about the best diesel car and then best petrol car. What, what, uh, what are your thoughts on those I'd two cars? Actually, give both of those. Well. Uh, my honest advice to you is avoid diesel because they 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 have already put an issue. They've had already marked everyone's card on that for next year, and they're going to continue to mark your card and weigh that heavily um, in the future. Uh, but if you are buying a diesel engine, um, don't be fooled by these little small diesel engines with their turbos. They are good. There's no question about that. But I remember having a, a discussion with a mate of mine. Um, he had bought a two point two liter diesel Jaguar. And um, lucky man. And um, the 3.2 litre was coming out a month later. And I said, why didn't you look for the 3.2 litre? And he says, drink too much fuel. That's the gas thing about uh, high literage diesel engines. They actually don't. It was more economical than the 2.2 diesel engine. And um, to me, the best diesel engine on the market currently is owned by none other than Peugeot. There's an awful lot of people using the Peugeot diesel engine. The Volkswagen diesel engine is to be avoided like the Black Plague. Um, but the Peugeot diesel engine is probably the best on the market. So if you are going to buy a diesel car, 
Opel, Peugeot, Citroen, they're all the same company. They're all using the Citroen. They're all Peugeot, basically. Um, they're all the same car. So if you're going to buy a diesel, I would buy that. And if you're going to buy a petrol, I'm going to go for my favorite car this year, which is <laughs> the Ford Focus. I think it's an absolutely incredible achievement Ford have done with that. And the petrol engine in it is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's it's responsive, it's quick, and it's more frugal than people really believe petrol engines can be. They've come a long way in the last 10 years, really, from the kind of gas guzzlers that you're, uh, you know, you you put the fuel in, you drive to Dublin and there's no fuel left. <laughs> They're a lot different than that these days. They do get an awful lot further these days. And I'd say if you're buying a petrol yeah. car, and I'll tip it as well. What the hell? I'll tip it for the What Car Awards too. I put in the Ford Focus. Uh, and if you are buying it, ST line and I'd go for the estate. Very good, yeah, because you're a... You're oh, yeah, a I, I, I state, don't see it. It was like when I was buying the Astro Estate, you know, the Opel Astro was 26.2 and the uh, Astro Estate was 27.2. And for an extra thousand, you're getting, oh, God, yeah. such space, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Much and plenty of space. Uh, you, you see, I know why you're a fan of them too, because you know when it comes to doing the Christmas shopping, you have a lot more space to fit in. All the <laughs> well, absolutely, but I do believe in space. <laughs> I have to be. I remember when I was down looking at cars, they, um, the the guys in Ford, they have the Hyundai dealership beside them there. And oh, would you have a look at a Hyundai? Now, me and Korean cars don't get on. <laughs> that's just me and green cars we don't get on i don't like them i don't like driving them they're very plasticky i'm not a fan they are very reliable i can't argue that but i'm not a fan but he brought me over to see the hyundai kona and my first thing was he was showing me the electric version wasn't the price the first thing happened is he opened the boot and said can't fit a week shopping in that <laughs> no so i do like my i do like my large boot <laughs> Well, and if it was a carry-on oh, film, a large boot could mean something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, true, you know, that's it. If you're thinking outside the box. Outside the estate car is correct. All right, so listen, thanks very much for doing Formula One this week. and we'll uh, No we'll problems at all. Talk to you then, Ed, and take care. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was Michael O'Grady.